Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic Drive Time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's so good to be on with you this morning. Praise be to God. How is your morning going so far? It's an ember day. So uh, no snacking in between meals. Meat only once today. But it's Wednesday, so we give up meat, my family anyway today. So there goes that, but I guess I'll have to give up the snacking today. Praise be to God. What an opportunity to celebrate the ember days. And I'm sure uh, Adrian Fonseca might give us a, a little tutorial on the ember days today. Uh, during the program, but also on the show today, Calm Flynn, EW10 correspondent, is going to be our guest. We're going to be talking about the upcoming trip to Iraq for Pope Francis, the first ever Pope that I know of uh, who has ever been to Iraq. So it's kind of a big deal, and Calm Flynn is going to be going along for the ride, and he's going to give us the information on that. But what does this mean for Muslim and Christian relations in a country where Christians have been heavily persecuted? And what about the Yazidis? Uh, Yazidis uh, asking for the Pope's help uh, to raise awareness over their situation there. What, what will this mean? We'll ask those questions to Colm Flynn later in the program today. Uh, we're going to have breaking news and stories with Emily here in a moment. Plus, we have our uh, Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day, the What's Concerning Us segment, plus our game show, huge prize pack this week from Tan Publishing, $200 value. It's kind of a big deal, so we'll have three more opportunities to give out or to get into the drawing for the prize pack during our game show later in the next hour, but uh, so much to talk about in this hour. Of course, the team is here. Good morning to you, Emily. Good morning, Joe. How are you doing today? Praise God, I am alive. Good. Now it is uh, it is all good news Wednesday, right? Uh, I wish. I really wish that were true. Uh, more like what happened yesterday, <laughs> Wednesday. <laughs> all good news. We, sh- we should like designate a day where it's just nothing but all good news. I would be so down for that. You have no idea. That I mean, would really. I don't. Make where, me happy. I don't know where we get this good news. Like we'd have to probably go to the Babylon Bee or something. But even they, <laughs> by the way, even they had to issue a retraction yesterday. Uh, for uh, for a joke that they made about uh, AOC, oh boy. apparently it didn't go well. It's just it's a joke. They're a joke channel. But anyway, uh, all right. So uh, lots to talk about in the news, of course. Plus, we'll have like I said, there there's a what's concerning us uh, segment today. An, uh, an issue over the vaccine again. Uh, this time, I think it's a uh, very concerning in in a particular way for women. We'll talk about that later in the program. But Adrian Fonseca is here. Good morning to you, Adrian. Good morning, Joe. It's good to be here. And I will be, uh, I guess I'll explain the Ember Days perhaps during the What's Concerning Us section. Yes. I think that's probably the best time to do it. Yeah, praise be to God. All right, I see already some folks hanging out with us online. It's always good to see our audience on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. You can find us on all three of those platforms. Search for at GRN online or Catholic Drive Time as well. Lori, I'm seeing you. Good morning to you. Let's begin with prayer and jump right into it. We're taking your intentions, dear listeners, and we're asking Our Lady to intercede for you and for all of us here uh, at, the, at the team of the show and our radio apostolates, the Station of the Cross and the Guadalupe Radio Network. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. 
O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now the headlines with Emily Alcaraz. A book that is critical of transgender ideology is the latest to be censored by Amazon. On Sunday, conservative scholar Ryan Anderson reported that his 2018 book, When Harry Became Sally, Responding to the Transgender Moment, was no longer listed for sale on Amazon.com. The company provided no explanation as to why Anderson's book was no longer listed for purchase online. Anderson's book explores the biological, psychological, and philosophical areas of the transgender debate. It received positive reviews by professors of psychiatry, psychology, and medical ethics at universities such as Johns Hopkins. In a statement on Monday, the author said, quote, Make no mistake, both big government and big tech can undermine human dignity and liberty, human flourishing, and the common good. The National Center on Sexual Exploitation on Tuesday announced its annual Dirty Dozen ranking of the top mainstream contributors to sexual exploitation. The organization found that as the pandemic resulted in the closure of schools and cancellation of public events, children have been at even greater risk of being targeted online. For 2020, new additions to the list include Reddit, Discord, Chromebooks, VeriSign, EBSCO, and OnlyFans. Returning to the list from 2020 are Amazon, Netflix, the state of Nevada, Twitter, and Wish. These were quick to capitalize on the deepening vulnerabilities and societal chaos that COVID-19 created. A German Catholic bishop has publicly defended his support for a book of blessings and rights for homosexual unions. Bishop Peter Kohlgraf of Mainz also suggested that Catholics with homosexual inclinations cannot all be expected to live chastely and the church should adopt a pastoral approach that acknowledges this. The bishop is the latest in a series of German prelates publicly calling for changes in the church's stance on homosexuality. The president of the German Bishops' Conference has called for changes to the section on homosexuality and the catechism of the Catholic Church, despite the fact that the church's teaching on marriage is definitive and will never change. Ireland's former prime minister has confirmed that Ireland will be employing COVID vaccine passports in order to regulate travel both nationally and internationally. Leo Varadkar pointed out to Israel as an example, since the country has recently introduced an app which would grant a quote-unquote green pass to those who had received their vaccinations, allowing them entry to entertainment and leisure facilities. As the country emerges from another lockdown, the app is now being used as a way to prevent entry to those people who have not received or refused the vaccine. The virtual passport system Roku also suggests that it will soon be used in many countries worldwide, identifying Canada, the USA and the UK as possible locations for an initial international rollout. I'm Emily Alcaraz and these are your Wednesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Saint Praetextus of Raun, pray for us. He was born in the 5th century, Bishop of Raun in France uh, from 549, a position he held for 35 years. But because of his involvement in political intrigue, the French king had him brought before a court of bishops on the charge of fomenting rebellion. 
Uh, Praetexitus denied these charges, but agreed to be exiled in lieu of being executed. Uh, he was formally re- reinstalled as bishop by a council at uh, Macon, in fact, but he continued to preach out against the queen and her evil practices. Uh, which might have got him in trouble in the first place. But he continued to preach out, calling her to repentance and encouraging the monarch to set a holy example. Rather than take his advice, though, she had him assassinated. He was murdered while praying the morning office in 586. St. Praetexitus of Rowan, pray for us. The Gospel comes to us from Luke chapter 11, verses 29 through 32. While still more people gathered in the crowd, Jesus said to them, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign will be given it, except the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. At the judgment, the Queen of the South will rise with the men of this generation, and she will condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and there is something greater than Solomon here. At the judgment, the men of Nineveh will arise with this generation and condemn it, because at the preaching of Jonah, they repented, and there was something greater than Jonah here. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Jonah and the Queen of the South, or rather Solomon, those are two, uh, two examples from the Old Testament here. You want to know what's uh, in common with both of them? Both preached to Gentiles. Uh, Jonah to the Ninevites and Solomon to the Queen of the South, a foreshadowing a typology of Christ himself. Now, I'm, in particular, I love the Jonah reference. Jonah, of course, we, we read the, the book and some scholars say it's pure fiction, it's a novel, it's a pious novel and may or may not be true. Although there is uh, an actual prophet named Jonah in the book of Kings in the Old Testament. So, um, it could be true, could not, we don't know, but either way, what is the, what is the, happens in the story? Jonah, uh, tries to flee God's will. He uh, puts himself on a boat headed in the opposite direction, and uh, all almost seems lost until Jonah resigns himself to be cast into the sea. He is eaten by a large fish, and for three days he is spent. He spends his time in the depths. Now, uh, I was listening uh, years ago, going through uh, a study on the Book of Jonah by Doctor Scott Hahn, and uh, he pointed out how some scholars believe that Jonah actually dies and spends his time there in. Uh, in, uh, in, in Shalom, or not Shalom, but rather Sheol, Sheol or Haiti. I was going to say Haiti, and then I mixed my, my words up there. In Haiti for three days and is resurrected on the beach to go preach to the Ninevites. And they repented. They repented. And it upsets Jonah to the end because they are his sworn enemies and he really wants them to see, he wants to see God's judgment enacted upon them. But he preached and they repented. And here's Jesus to an evil generation seeking a sign. You know, how many times have you and I asked God for a sign? I've asked many times God to provide a sign. There's a distinction I think that is, should be made here. We should not be asking God to prove himself to us, as if God has something to prove to us. But rather, as his child, I ask God to shore me up, to shore up my faith, to draw me ever so more closely to him. And sometimes he does that through signs as a generous father tends to do. 
Uh, and so there's a distinction here about the intention of the audience that Jesus is speaking to on what they intend versus what we ought to intend during the holy season of Lent. Emily, Adrian? Yeah, there's a, there's quite a bit here. Um, and I think you touched on, I think the most important thing here was the sign of Jonah. Uh, now what is the sign of Jonah? I mean, you, you talked about it, but you didn't explicitly say that this was a sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah is the three days in the whale, um, or three days in the big fish, depending on your translation, uh, or if you've seen the VeggieTales movie. Uh, the, the sign of Noah is the, the three days he spent in the well. And our Lord's sign, that he gave, that everything he said is true. The sign that he gave to show that he is actually who he said he was, was the three days he spent in the tomb in which he resurrected. And now our Lord is making the, the connection here. Why is he making this connection? Because he's saying, as Joe said, the Ninevites, whenever, uh, whenever Jonah came out of the well, showing forth the sign that he was the prophet of God, the Ninevites repented. The Ninevites converted. The Ninevites changed their minds, put on sackcloth and ashes, and repented of their sins, and they were saved. They were spared because of it. And the Ninevites and the second coming, our Lord is saying here, is they will come to the Jews and will chastise them. Why? Because the, the Ninevites, who were pagans, who were heathens, heard the prophet and converted. But the Jews here, that, were, that our Lord is speaking to here, heard the word, not from the prophet, but from the king of kings himself. And the one who gave the greater sign, who was in the tomb and rose himself from the dead, rose and risen by the Father, he came up and he preached to them. And what happened? There was no faith. He found no faith. And so because of that, the Ninevites will return at the second coming and will show forth uh, the righteousness of the Ninevites and the unrighteousness of the unfaithful Jews. So I think that's very important to remember. I also uh, think that this is a perfect segue into talking about the Ember Days um, in which the, uh, the it's a sackcloth and ashes because it's a day of partial abstinence and fasting. Partial abstinence meaning you have to no meat for at all during the day except for the principal meal and fasting meaning two coalitions and one uh, small meal. And so for that small meal, you can have uh, meat for it, but the rest of it not. Uh, of course, this is all optional. Uh, it's not binding by mortal sin anymore, um, but it's a good practice to uphold, and I will explain it on the other side of the break. Amen. Praise be to God. Uh, so we have just a few seconds here before we go to break. I want to thank Patty for sharing our video stream on uh, on Facebook. We, we really appreciate everybody hanging out with us on radio across the Station of the Cross or the Guadalupe Radio Network and online, Facebook YouTube, and Twitter. If you are there, make sure you hit that share button. It really helps us out to spread the Catholic Drive Time family. We'll be right back with the What's Concerning Us section, plus Colm Flynn from EWTN will be on our program today. Coming back in just a few minutes. Holy Thursday Mass commemorates the institution of the ministerial priesthood. But the Gospels don't mention anything about Jesus ordaining the apostles. Where does the Catholic Church get off thinking this? There are two clues. First, Jesus commands the apostles to do this in Luke 22:19. The Greek verb for do, poeo, can be translated literally as offer in the sense of offering a sacrifice, as it is in Leviticus 9:7 of the Septuagint. Since offering sacrifice is a priestly function, then this command seems to suggest the apostles were priests. A second possible clue is the washing of feet in John 13:5. This calls to mind Exodus 40, where Aaron and his sons had their feet washed as part of their priestly ordination ceremony. 
So the Catholic claim that Jesus wasn't the only priest at the first Mass is not unbiblical. I'm Carlo Brusard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium? Recommended by the Cardo Newman Society, the University of Dallas offers an exceptional liberal arts education, preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McClain. So good to be on with you this morning. Praise be to God. Just about, uh, I don't know, 17 minutes or so from now, Colm Flynn uh, is going to be our guest in the uh, guest segment today. EWTN correspondent. He's about to go on a historic trip. He's going to go to the, uh, Iraq with His Holiness Pope Francis. It's the first time a Pope's ever uh, visited the country. And it ought to be very interesting. So we're going to have a conversation with Colm about that trip, its significance, but also about uh, Muslim-Christian relations in a country where Christians are being persecuted. What will that mean for his visit there? Will he be safe? What, will he have conversations with uh, local Muslim leaders about the safety of Christians in that country? Um, so look forward to that conversation coming up. Uh, not to mention, uh, we have our big, huge game show. That happens in our second hour. If you're able to join us for that, we have a massive uh, prize pack this week, $200 value from TAM Publishing. Uh, so I'm, we're excited to give somebody three more chances at that prize pack this week. That'll happen in the second hour. If you're able to join us, be sure to do so. I want to start this What's Concerning Us segment. There's three articles here that I want to mention, uh, and I'm sure the others have some points they want to bring up as well. But this is a letter that was issued by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops yesterday. And um, this article is trying to address this, uh, you know, equality act that's being proposed in our Congress has very grave dangers to religious liberty, to uh, to our freedoms as as Christians in this country. This letter is signed by uh, Most Reverend Michael Barber, Bishop of Oakland, uh, Most Reverend um, Coakley, Archbishop of Oklahoma City, uh, Zeminus Cardinal Timothy Dolan. And New York, Most Reverend David Condola, Bishop of Tulsa, and uh, Most Reverend Joseph Nauman of Kansas City, Kansas. I won't read the whole thing to you. You can obviously go to USCCB and read it for yourself. And we'll link to it, of course. But I want to read at least a couple of pertinent points. It says, The Equality Act purports to protect people experiencing same-sex attraction or gender discordance from discrimination. But instead, the bill represents the imposition by Congress of novel and dis divisive viewpoints regarding gender on individuals and organizations. This includes dismissing sexual difference and falsely presenting gender as only a social construct. As Pope Francis has reflected, however, biological sex and the sociocultural role of sex or gender can be distinguished but not separated. It is one thing to be understanding of human weakness and complexities of life, and another to accept ideologies that attempt to surrender what are inseparable aspects of reality. Tragically, this act can also be construed to include an abortion mandate, a violation of precious rights to life 
and conscience. It goes on to say, rather than affirm human dignity in ways that meaningfully exceed existing practical protections, the Equality Act would discriminate against people of faith. And it goes on to list uh, several issues here that are very concerning. So I think we've, uh, Emily, I think we've mentioned this story a couple of times just in the, this past few days. Right. I think every single day because it's actually huge news. This is really important. It's, this is going to dramatically shift um, the religious freedom issues in this country. We're, we're beginning to see the U.S. turning into more of the, in the European sense, do you remember when we had Damien Thompson on, he said, in Europe, it's already too late. Like, yeah. this is our moment. This is our moment when everything is shifting for us. The Equality Act is huge. I don't think people understand how important this is. But it... it <laughs> It's like it's guy. It's like that Trojan horse. We talked about this yesterday. Yeah. It's the Trojan horse at the gate. Oh, we want to be fair. We want to be good to people. People, even people who disagree with us, even people who have a different worldview than us, we want to be charitable and fair to these people. That, that could be a good sentiment on the surface, but what's hidden underneath is it's, a, it's used as a vehicle to bring about uh, the tying of our hands and our, and our, our voices in our public sphere. And this is what the bishops are cautioning us and warning us and raising the alarm about. Uh, one of the bullet points, the first bullet point here as one of the examples that they're saying that this is a problem says, this, if passed, this legislation would punish faith-based charities such as shelters and foster care agencies and in their turn thousands of beneficiaries simply because of their beliefs on marriage and sexuality. I remember being in... Uh, a brand new, you know, convert to Catholic faith in New England when I came into the church in 1999 up in New Hampshire. And it was a couple of years later, like 2001, when the big sex abuse scandal broke in Boston. And it was a big deal. I mean, it was, I was freaked out by that, to be honest with you. I, I couldn't even fathom how, how a Catholic clergy could do that. And I wasn't even really all that solid in my faith. I was still pretty secular. And I was really shocked. And then it wasn't much longer that Catholic Charities had to um, had to stop offering uh, adoption services because they would not place children in the homes of people uh, with same sex uh, that are in same sex unions or or worse. And I thought that's really crazy. Why would the government want to prevent uh, the Catholic organization? who's doing an incredible job for probably pennies on the dollar compared uh, to other organizations to help place children who need and desire and want and deserve a family, and they're going to stop this? This is no, no longer going to be a thing? I mean, that's just utterly insane. And yet, here we are. Uh, one of the other bullet points is, uh, if this legislation is passed, it would force both people and organizations in many everyday life and work settings to speak or act in support of gender transitions, including healthcare workers and licensed counselors, even when it's against their professional judgment. Uh, think about the, um, the therapies that have been banned for people who have same-sex attraction. Like you're not you're not allowed to help these people overcome that, even if the person wants to help wants the help. Like there, that's, that gets banned. That's in, that's insane. That's literally insane. And yet here we are. So I'll leave this uh, for you to read the rest of it. Uh, we're, we'll link to it, of course, and you can you can read it. But it's on the USCCB website. 
and it's not that long. You should be able to to read through it in five to ten minutes or so. But it's worth it's worth reading, and it's worth helping to raise the alarm, calling your on your congressman that uh, this is not something that's good for America. It's not something that's good for us, and to use these these legislations um, as a Trojan horse to accomplish your uh, other agenda is not good for us, and it must be stopped. So that's very concerning to me. Then, of course, we see this story, LifeSite News reporting, the waitress was fired for turning down a COVID-19 vaccination over fertility concerns. Um, our friend uh, Dorothy cummins McLean been on the program a couple of times. She's based out of Scotland, but she wrote this article. She says, a would-be mom was fired from her waitressing job after, after saying she needed to research COVID-19 vaccines before taking one. Bonnie uh, Jacobson, 34, was fired from Brooklyn's Red Hook Tavern last Monday after informing her bosses that she would not be getting vaccinated right away. Jacobson and her husband were trying for a baby, and she was concerned about the effect a COVID-19 vaccine might have on her fertility. Restaurant staff in New York City have been declared essential workers and therefore eligible to receive the COVID-19 vaccines. On February 8th, Red Hook Tavern sent its employees information about the vaccines because Jacobson had already put off having a baby and was concerned about the effects of COVID-19 vaccines on fertility. She told her bosses at a staff meeting that she would need time to research the new treatment before accepting it. On February 12th, however, Red Hook sent her another email saying that the vaccine was mandatory. Quote, please be advised that we will require that all employees receive the vaccination, unquote, the email stated. Quote, this will be mandatory for all existing employees and any new hires. The exception to this policy will be if your own personal health or disability prohibits you from obtaining this vaccination, unquote, it continued. Uh, that's, again... Like, have we lost our minds? Like, there's no ability to, to say, hey, there might be some issues here. I mean, we saw Facebook uh, cooperate with the Biden administration in trying to squash all negative uh, vaccination articles on their platform. So sharing this, pla- sharing this article probably is not going to do much good unless you're sending it through the, a private messenger. Um, but there is real concern here for fertility. Emily? Okay, I'm really riled up about this article. I'm posting it. I actually just posted it to the uh, chat on Facebook, and it seems like it's up. But anyway, if you scroll down to the bottom of this uh, this article, this woman, Bonnie, she was not. She's not anti-vaccine in general. She's not anti-lockdown. She was. Ta- she said she was getting COVID tested every two weeks so that she could keep her job. She was doing wow. the masking, the social distancing. She was doing everything they asked. Okay, but she did say. I just want to do more research into this vaccine, because if you go into the fine print, okay, the UK government here, they published a guide to the vaccine that says if you are of childbearing age and you're trying to get pregnant or you um, are barely pregnant, you should not get the second dose it says in the fine print of the vaccines also if you are breastfeeding do not take the vaccine because the effects on babies are still unknown and that's all that this woman was pointing out is the fact that there's still so much we don't know about the effects of this vaccine and that we won't know for a long time because um that's just the way vaccine research works and actually uh, in a British study of the vaccine side effects, um, the Pfizer and AstraZeneca vaccines were found to be related to miscarriages for women wow. who are pregnant. 
Um, in, in the studies, five miscarriages were reported after the fi- Pfizer vaccine and three after the AstraZeneca vaccine. And we've been reporting on many articles over the last, I don't know, month or two about the vaccine. And we keep repeatedly saying it seems very clear that there is a segment of, of mankind who probably should not get this vaccine because it will be harmful to them. The question is, who's in that category? Who is in that slice of the of the human pie that probably will be adversely affected by taking this vaccine? Well, you don't know until you do the research. But the problem we have here is, you know, on a public level, you're almost not allowed to to talk about these things. You're not allowed to to suggest that this could be bad. And yet we see article after article after news report after news report about people not only just having adverse ref- effects, but dying from it, too. Now, is it the is it the majority? No, it's a minority of people. But the, still, there's a minority of people on planet Earth who are going to be adversely affected by this. And if it causes infertility, well, golly gee whiz, that's a major concern, too. Yeah. And um, just to point this out, of course, Bonnie, this poor woman, this poor woman fired from her job for just asking the question, to, to asking the question, asking to do more research. And uh, now in this article, it also points out that Dr. Michael Yeadon who worked for Pfizer, he was the former head of their respiratory research, uh, warned that these vaccines are preventing the safe development of placentas in pregnant women. Okay. Yeah. And so they, they wrote a letter to the European Medicine Agency, but, you know, we're not allowed to point this out. Again, it's, it's being able to conversate about it, being able to have uh, this uh, dialogue and even ask these tough questions might lead to a better vaccine, a va- better vaccine process, a better vaccine uh, for people. But because we're not allowed to conversate that because everything gets re- regulated to to uh, anti-vaxxer type of category. Well, boy, golly gee whiz, that's not good. And uh, her concern for, for fertility is a real one. We'll be right back. More Catholic Drive Time is coming your way. Don't go anywhere. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Patriotism is a natural virtue. It's natural to love our country just as it's natural to love our family and love our home. But G.K. Chesterton says the true patriot is always a little sad. Now why is that? because everyone who loves his country wishes it were better. Chesterton says we have to hate the world enough to want to change it and love it enough to think it worth changing. So when we criticize our nation, we do it out of love because we want to improve it and because we want to be proud of it. We obviously don't want to be ashamed of it. That's why we want our country to be virtuous and moral and godly. And Chesterton says, the more transcendental is your patriotism, the more practical are your politics. Want more than a minute? Visit us at Chesterton.org. The universe is filled with order from top to bottom. It's a beautiful order, and not only is it beautiful, it's order that we can actually comprehend. And it's almost as if we have been made to be able to comprehend that order in the universe, to be able to contemplate it so that we can see maybe that purpose behind it. Please visit Father Spitzer's website, magiscenter.com, to watch this beautiful and important video about purpose in God's creation. That's magiscenter.com. Good morning and welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and today is Wednesday, February 24th. These are your headlines for today. 
A woman in Brooklyn was fired from her job after hesitating to receive the COVID vaccine over fertility concerns. The 34-year-old Bonnie Jacobson was let go from Brooklyn's Red Hook Tavern last Monday after informing her bosses that she needed to research the COVID-19 vaccines before taking one because she and her husband were trying to get pregnant. The restaurant staff in New York City have been declared essential workers and are therefore eligible and sometimes required to receive COVID-19 vaccines. Among other concerns, Dr. Michael Yeadon, the former head of Pfizer's respiratory research, warned that some of the vaccines may prevent the safe development of placentas in pregnant women, resulting in vaccinated women essentially becoming infertile. In a British, in a British study of COVID-19 vaccine side effects, five miscarriages were reported after the use of the Pfizer vaccine and three after taking the AstraZeneca vaccine. The president of the Catholic Civil Rights Organization this week released a scathing rebuke of the so-called Equality Act introduced by Democrats, saying it promotes the most comprehensive assault on Christianity ever written into law. Bill Donahue, president of the Catholic League for Religious and Civil Rights, said that although the act claims to be about ending discrimination, the repercussions would effectively secularize religious entities and force adherents to violate religious codes of conduct. The Equality Act is being denounced by the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, as well as other prominent Catholics. The House of Rep Representatives is set to vote on the Equality Act today. The German Bishops' Conference has elected the first woman ever to be their general secretary. Beate Gillies has served as head of the Department for Children, Youth and Family in the Diocese of Limburg. She said, It is a challenging but also exciting phase for the Catholic Church in Germany. With the synodal way, something new has started. The president of the German Bishops' Conference described her election as an important day for the church in Germany and said he sees this as a strong sign that the bishops are fulfilling their promise to promote women in leadership positions within the church. And Pope Francis expressed his condolences on Tuesday after three people were killed in an attack on a United Nations convoy traveling in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Luca Atanasio, the Italian ambassador to Congo, died of his wounds from the attack. An Italian carabin carabinieri officer and their Congolese driver were also killed. The group had been traveling on February 23rd from Goma to visit the site of a humanitarian initiative by the World Food Program at a school in Rutshuru in the east of the country when the UN vehicles were ambushed. The Associated Press has reported that more than 2,000 people were killed last year by armed groups in the eastern provinces of the Democratic Republic of Congo, where millions of others have been displaced by the violence. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Wednesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Thank you, Emily. Uh, don't forget, you can always get the links to all of our uh, feeds, uh, all the places we place our content on social media, as well as uh, find uh, vi embedded videos or playlists by category right on our website, plus the audio version of our podcast on the show is available there, too. You can just go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. You can also sign up to our email list and get that Father Bill Casey talk right there at grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Joining us all the way uh, from Rome is EWTN correspondent Colm Flynn. Good morning to you, Colm. Good morning, Joe. How are you today? Praise God, I'm alive. And that, counts. <laughs> and that counts. How are you, anyway? 
I'm very good. I'm sitting here in my apartment, which is on Borgo Pio, which is a road that leads right up to the side of the Vatican here in the Eternal City. And I'm looking at all of your um, beautiful faces on my screen here. This is great. I know it's radio, so the listeners don't have the uh, privilege of being able to see you guys uh, hard at work. But whereabouts in the States are you based, Joe? Where is this studio? So we're, we're physically located in our Houston studio, but we're broadcasting across the Guadalupe Radio Network and the Station of the Cross uh, right now. So we, we reach uh, pretty much all over the country. Praise be to God. Wow. And uh, Houston, Texas, I've never been. I lived in New York for five years before I moved here. I'm Irish, if you can't tell. <laughs> and we, we went to Texas a few times, but we went to San Antonio. Oh, sure. Yeah. Amen. Praise God. That's yeah. where I grew up, San Antonio. By the oh, way, really? uh, yesterday was uh, the remembrance of the first day of the siege of the uh, Battle of Alamo. Uh, so wow. this whole week is, uh, is remembering the Alamo. At any that rate, that's not what we invited you on for. <laughs> we want to talk about a different uh, type of siege. The, the, the papal trip to Iraq is coming up, and uh, I, I'm told you're going along for the ride. It's kind of a, an, an historic event. Tell us about what can we expect or why this is so historic, Conflin. Joe, I have been told, too, that I'm going along for the ride, so it must be true. And this is, um, it's a historic trip. It is my first ever papal flight that I'm uh, going on. There's some journalists here. I met a journalist this morning for breakfast, and she has been on, she said, 40 papal trips. Wow. So there's a lot of veterans going, but I'm a newbie. I've just been reporting on the Vatican and covering this beat for only a few months now. But this is going to be Pope Francis's first apostolic trip for a while because everything has been on lockdown here uh, in Rome and around the world. But this is the first time a pope has ever visited the country of Iraq. The last time a pope attempted to go was in 1999. That was John Paul II, St. John Paul II. And he had plans to go, and then at the last minute they were cancelled because of security concerns. I think basically the country couldn't guarantee his safety. So there's a, a lot of, I don't want to say um, anxiety, but there are certainly some concerns about this trip. It will be a very different papal trip to previous ones. It will be a lot more tightly controlled. There'll be a lot of security and a lot of eyes will be on it as well. Well, you know, security is one of the biggest questions of the day, I suppose. I mean, recently there was, uh, I think, a rocket attack in Erbil. So a lot of people are wondering, what what will his trip actually look like? Will he get to visit anything? I mean, when the president flies to Iraq to visit the troops, he flies in the middle of the night. He, he, he uses a little uh, shell game on which airplane he's on. And he does all these uh, tricks in order to keep his uh, safety uh, and then he gets in and out, but he almost never leaves the airport, I think. Uh, so w what will the Pope do? Get off the airplane, wave at the cameras, get back on and leave? I mean, how is that going to work? Joe, don't make me nervous. More nervous than I am, okay? I, I, we don't have the luxury of, you know, swapping planes and everything. Well, I'm sure the Pope does. But what I've been told, and we haven't been told a lot about the security detail yet, but the veteran journalist that I met this morning, who is very much in touch with the Vatican Press Office and is helping coordinate all the other journalists, uh, she told me that the, of course, uh, a group from the Vatican have already been over. They <clears throat> they go and they walk the route and everything. We'll be flying into Baghdad. It will be a charter flight. There will be uh, the Pope, of course, and his entourage. And then there'll be around 70 journalists. There's a huge amount of journalists going from wow. various different networks, both religious networks like EWTN, the one I work for, and also secular networks. So we'll be at the back of the plane. 
they normally have a space in the middle. The Pope will be up the front during the flight. He normally he would come back and he would talk to the journalists. Uh, he will have a small press conference. He'll also meet some of the journalists one on one. Whether that will happen now with COVID, we'll wait and see. But I've been told that when we get into the country, the journalists, we will be in a hotel. They've just changed the hotel. We were booked into another hotel and they've changed it for security concerns, but haven't told us what those security concerns are. So we're in a new hotel <laughs> and we're told this one is much more secure. A lot of international journalists stay there. We're being told that we should not leave the hotel. Uh, everything will be provided in the hotel, meals, etc., etc. We will all be going to the presidential palace when we first arrive and His Holiness will be meeting uh, political leaders and the head of Iraq. After that, we go back to the hotel and then for the next few days, the Pope will be going to um, Erbil, where you said that, that correctly that bombing was outside the airport, a rocket launcher just last week. He'll be going to Mosul as well, but he will be taking a helicopter there. Some journalists out of that group of 70 will be picked to go on some of those day trips and will be traveling by helicopter as well. As far as I know, we'll be doing very little traveling by road. There is a public mass, uh, well, public mass because of COVID crowds are, um, I'm not sure if they're restricted or completely banned, but we'll be going to a mass in Baghdad. And I've been told that we'll have a heavy police o escort when we're in the bus going to that from the hotel. But security, um, I mean, is it a safe time to go to Iraq? Stability is a relative term when you're talking about Iraq. It's more stable now than I suppose it was during the, the war. Um, I, I've heard of some photographers are talking about bulletproof vests and so on and so forth. But we will see. I interviewed a, a cardinal the other day and I was saying, is this the right time to go because of COVID? And many people are questioning, why is the Pope going now when he won't get to meet the people and get very close to them? It will be very much a lot of political meetings. And the cardinal said, I mean, is it the right time? Is it the right time? It's a real time. So we will wait and see. I saw that interview. He doesn't seem like he was too sympathetic about security concerns because he had he had lived through the war. And, uh, you know, and he and I love the the part he said, he says, you know, I'm not married. I have no kids. So uh, my uh, my family is here and uh, there's nothing to there's no there's nothing to put my life in more jeopardy. I have no family members to to be uh, to be threatened or what have you. So his life was at the service of the people. I was very inspired by what what he had to say. But when you asked him about the Pope, he didn't seem to sympathize all that much. I mean, uh, I love that. That was great. I think he was trying to say to me, Joe, toughen up, basically, yeah. is what he was saying. That was yeah. a, and you know what, he's right. That's it was right. Cardinal Fernando Filoni, and he lived in Iraq for many years. And during the U.S. invasion, when many other diplomats and humanitarian groups, they got up and left. They shut up shop because it got so dangerous. You're right, that beautiful moment where I asked him, what gave you the courage to stay? And he said, I have no earthly family. Yeah. My family is the church. So they're my family there. And he said another <laughs> funny thing. Well, hold that was, thought. Call, I'm sorry. Yes. we got to go to a short break, uh, but we're going to be right back with Colm Flynn, EWTN correspondent, getting ready to go to Iraq with the Pope. We're going to ask him about the Yazidis and the Muslim-Christian relations. All that coming up next. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. This is the Pope Paul VI Institute Minute with Dr. Tom Hilgers. When I read Humana Vitae's challenge to men of science, I felt that the church was speaking directly to me. In 1968, I was a senior medical student. By December of that year, I had begun my first research project on natural methods of family planning. But that project didn't lead very far. 
At the time, I was also president of my medical fraternity. Some of my fraternity brothers, relying mostly on the national media's information, ridiculed the church's position on contraception and her letter, Humana Vitae. Many felt that the kind of science for which the church was asking for was impossible. Yet I remember telling them that I thought the answer would be forthcoming within the next five years. At the time I said that, it seemed more like a wish and a desire than anything else. Until next time, I'm Dr. Tom Hilgers. For a complimentary gift and more information on the Pope Paul VI Institute, log on to www.popepaulvi6.com. Hi, this is Dave Palmer inviting you to join me and Cecil Anderson each Friday at 4 p.m. Central, 5 o'clock Eastern Time for a new program here on the Guadalupe Radio Network called Back to the Father, which is based on the teachings of the angelic doctor St. Thomas Aquinas in his Summa Theologia. Each week we talk about how a life focused on our final end is a life that is more joyful and more hopeful as we journey back to the Father. Please join us this Friday at 4 p.m. Central here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you this morning. Praise be to God. Roxanne, I just want to say thank you for sharing our video on Facebook. We're very grateful to you. God love you. God bless you. We're also uh, very grateful to Paul for listening every single day on the radio. God bless you, Paul. Thank you for doing that. Colm Flynn, EWTN correspondent, is our guest. We're talking to him about the upcoming trip to Iraq for the Pope. It's uh, sort of a historic and a monumental thing, uh, but it's also a kind of a, a monumental thing for Calm, who's now got to don a bulletproof vest, apparently, and risk his life to, <laughs> to bring us the news. Uh, but hopefully what, EW10 Joe, is giving you the good one. Not the, uh, tell him, no, don't buy it on Amazon, because that's probably not the best quality. <laughs> You're going to need a really good bulletproof vest. Maybe I have painted it to sound a bit more dramatic than it is. I <laughs> no, think no, it's that, great. You know, if, 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 I, I if it bleeds, it leads, right? I mean, it's great. <laughs> if, if it bleeds, it leads. I have the Holy Spirit, and I will have um, my guardian angel with me, so Amen. I should be fine. There you go. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, there's a two, there's a two more points I really want to bring up before we do run out of time with you today. Uh, of course, the Yazidis are big in the news right now. They have been asking uh, His Holiness... Uh, for a, a meeting so that they can ha have his help to raise awareness to their cause. Can you tell us about that story? Yeah, this is a story that my colleague Bria Dale, a great journalist here in Rome, she has been covering the Yazidi community like so many other communities uh, in Iraq. And we interviewed other uh, Christians from the northern part of Iraq who have just been facing such persecution over the years. And I think the Yazidi community got together. They have uh, penned a letter to Pope Francis asking for a meeting and his prayers because of the persecution they've been facing. But, you know, Joe, it's one of the things we hear it so much in the media now, persecution of Christians, persecution uh, of this group, etc. And when you hear something so much, you become a little bit immune to it. I know it's a horrible thing to say. But uh, over the past two weeks, we have been doing all of these uh, satellite interviews with groups in Iraq and people who have left Iraq and living abroad. And when you hear the human stories behind the word persecuted Christians and persecuted groups, how people have to flee in the middle of the night, uh, run out of their churches, run out of their jobs, their kids can't come back. That's when it really hits home the reality of how bad it is for so many Christians there and we sometimes think maybe it's getting better maybe you know uh, with more talk of uh, brothers and sisters and you know Pope Francis encyclical Fratelli Tutti maybe things are getting better but yesterday 
I spoke to in a very famous Frenchman. He's a professor and he's a, a political commentator and he's an expert on Islamic extremism. And his take to me, which was a take I hadn't heard before, you don't hear that much in the media, was that it's not only getting worse, but it's going to continue to get worse for Christians and minorities in not only Iraq, in other Muslim countries. And, you know, what can be done? I hope the Pope's visit will will set, try and set the tone um, to try and bring the two groups together. Now, you have some audio from your interview last night. You want to set that up? Because that's one of the big questions, too, is how can the Pope travel to a country like Iraq and not ask the $64,000 question, so to speak? You know, this is a country where Christians have been persecuted. I was talking to, I interviewed one of the uh, the Chaldean bishops last year, and he was sharing with me, he, grew, he was born and raised in Iraq, and he was sharing with me the story of how his brother, uh, uh, his they had to flee their home, and the neighbor, whom they'd known for 40 years... The Muslim neighbor came knocking on his door and said, you're going to have to leave because ISIS is coming, and why don't you give your house to me instead of letting them have it? Wow. Instead of saying, I'm here to protect you, we're going to stand by you because we've been neighbors for 40 years, he's like, well, I know you have to run for your life, why don't you give me your house? The man had to leave his house and, and, uh, and take his family and flee to the comfort of... Uh, of the Yazidis, as a matter of fact, to to uh, avoid being uh, slaughtered by the uh, by ISIS. So, how can the Pope go to a country like Iraq and not bring this up? That's the big question many of us are asking. That's the big question. That's the, what I talked to Alexander Deval, the French political commentator, yesterday. I asked uh, how should he approach it. Now, I know this is complicated, playing clips over Zoom and all that. So, let's uh, pray that you can hear this. But here's what he had to say: his take on the Pope going to meet Muslim leaders in the country and why he thinks he should take a harder stance with them. I think it will have a positive impact only in one condition. As we say in geopolitics, you must put your brain in the brain of the other. And in inside Muslim wor world, when a pope embraces uh, a, a Muslim leader mm -hmm. who never apologize for persecuting Christians, according to a radical Islamist or even a, a very Muslim guy, uh, it's seen as weakness. We persecute them, and when the chief of Christian comes to us, he, he, he even not mentioned the fact that our countries uh, always consider Christian as inferior because you must know that except Lebanon, where a Christian can be president, all the minorities of Christian natives, not colonized natives, in Muslim world, they are inferior. We cannot lie. That was Alexander Deval speaking to me yesterday. Wow. 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 Those are, um, Those are um, well, I'm hearing a reverb on myself all of a sudden. Sorry, there you go. Should yeah. be gone now. Okay, great. <laughs> that, those are pretty powerful words. He said, all except for Lebanon. So Lebanon is the only country where a Christian can become president. Otherwise, Christians are always looked on as, as a part of like the lower classes, like Inferior sub subpar and citizens. He made it an interesting point. It was a long, uh, wide-ranging interview, but he said that we are not asking Muslims to change their faith. We're not asking them to do that. We're asking them to change uh, and alter the law, Sharia law, that goes with their faith. He said, which hasn't been amended or changed since the 10th century. He said, it is Sharia law that allows the persecution of every other group, uh, including Christians. So he said, that is what the Pope should be asking 
you have to do something. He also criticised um, the textbooks that are circulated around public schools in Iraq and Muslim countries, that the textbooks are written in a way um, which allows the persecution of Christians, which um, it links you know, the white uh, people as being linked to Christianity, the imperialistic religion and its evil and so on and so forth. He didn't hold back in the interview. And uh, you can actually see it now on my Twitter account or on EWTN, um, but a very interesting uh, perspective. Is there any indication that His Holiness Pope Francis will be addressing this head-on? No, we, we don't know yet until we get there. Now, I did say to Alexander Duval in the interview, I said, well, maybe the Pope will do this, because I, I, I'm myself and like many other people worried that if the Pope did take a harder stance and went over saying we need this and you have to do that, it would further the divide. It would hammer a wedge into that divide that's already there, and we don't want to do that for the Christians who are being persecuted. And he said, well, it's the way you say it. You know, you don't go over and try and uh, be a bully, but you go over and say, look, we're friends. We want to get on. We want to have a relationship. We all come from the same. We're all under the, the one God. But what Muslims are doing to Christians and other minorities, we have to, he said, we have to play the victim a bit more. But he's not a fan of just um, Fratelli Tutti, just saying brotherhood and sisterhood and uh, embracing the other leaders and leaving it at that. Like you said, he has to address the elephant in the room. If he will do that or not, you know, many of these meetings go on behind closed doors, Joe, so we will wait and see what happens. So what can we expect initially? Are we are we just going to see a lot of like press uh, photo op opportunities? So not a lot of real substance uh, coming out initially or what do, what are your expectations of this trip as far as how the public will receive or perceive this this trip? You know what? I don't want to be a pessimist and I don't want to be unfair because I think, you know, the, the Pope going to Iraq, when it is clearly not the safest trip, he's going during a pandemic as well. I think there's a lot of kudos to that. And even if we can't get huge change, if it's a baby step, if his presence in the country on, a, you know, Islamic television, if that tries to change the tone a small bit, maybe that's a small victory. But yeah, there'll be a lot of press opportunities. He'll have a photographs taken with a lot of political leaders. Um, who, you know, I, I don't want to be unfair when the plane hasn't even left Rome yet for him to go and say that it hasn't been worthwhile or it has been worthwhile. You can ask me again uh, <laughs> at the end of the trip in, in a week and a half. We'll have you back on the other side just to get the lowdown. But uh, you know, I guess one of the big questions uh, that I wonder from your perspective is, if you get the chance to ask a question on the plane, what's it going to be? Have you have you thought? You must have thought about that. I thought about it. I would ask something, I think, about the persecution of Christians and what can be done more, because I think that's the, the big obvious thing to ask. It's very interesting who gets to ask the question and what the question is. Like I said, 75 journalists from all the, the spectrum of media, from left to right and everywhere in between, so agreeing on a question because each language group traditionally gets to ask one question. So there's one question in Spanish, one in English. So the journalists all pool together and they vote. They have a voting system on which question gets asked. So <laughs> We'll, we'll wait and see what it is, but I think it should be something on the persecution of Christians and what more can be done to help them. After the stories we've heard, we'd have to ask about that. But it's going to be historic, it's going to be fascinating, and I hope that it, it all goes well. I'm sure it will. You can't even escape the synodal way on a journalistic uh, you know, press conference with the Pope. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, wow. Well, uh, praise be to God. A couple minutes left in our conversation with Colin Flynn, EWTN correspondent, papal trip uh, to Iraq is coming up. Uh, how many days is the trip going to be exactly? It, it is the 5th until the 8th. 
So just a couple of days, but some people trips only last one day. So this is uh, you know quite sizable. Yeah. And uh, traveling internally in Iraq with the journalists will be going by helicopter, some some by the Iraqi airlines. Mm. So it's going to be fascinating to see. Would you like to go on the trip, Joe, if you had the opportunity? I, I would actually. I think that would be amazing. Now my wife, however, would have a different opinion <laughs> yeah. of the matter. Now I guess you are married, calm. I didn't ask her. No. You're, I'm. Uh, I haven't found anyone foolish enough to marry me yet, but I'm still looking. <laughs> well, <you know? laughs> just like the cardinal said, uh, you know, uh, he's not going to feel sorry for you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I asked one cardinal who was it? I cardinal George Pell. I did an interview with him, but you know, to break the ice when the cameras are all setting up and the lights are there, and it's a, it, that was an intense interview to do. So beforehand, he comes in, and he's a larger than life uh, figure, and so we were talking, and I was trying to break the ice, and he asked me something similar as I married, and I said, no, I'm, you know. Trying to meet someone, we'll see. And I said, you know, pray for it, Cardinal Pell. And he said, well, I can't do miracles. So uh, I think it's funny. You got the Cardinals acting as matchmakers for you, too. That's, that's just brilliant. And Joe, I must ask you because we're running out of time before yeah. we go. Your second name, McLean. Are you Irish? I'm ca- uh, Scottish. Scottish. So McLean, of course. From, My parents are both Scottish. Oh, really? From the island of Mull, from Duart Castle. Uh, Ah, beautiful. How many removed? Your parents or a few back? 18th century. It goes way back. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, God love you. We are out of time. Colm Flynn, EWTN correspondent. Uh, thank you for being on. We look forward to having you back when you get back safe and sound on terra firma. We're, uh, My we're, pleasure. God thank love you, so you much. and God bless you and uh, have a great day, Colm Flynn. That's going to do it for today's first hour. We, a lot of fun talking to Colm there. We'll place, I'll uh, put that uh published interview with just him on our YouTube and Rumble channels later today. Look forward to that. But if you can join us for the next hour, the game show is coming up, plus more breaking news and stories. All that still to come in Catholic Drive Time. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Join us on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter at GRN Online. God bless. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Bible says to call no man father, so why do we call our priests father? In Matthew 23, verse 9, it says, And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Notice that this verse makes no distinction between spiritual fathers, which is what priests are, and biological fathers. This passage says that no man is to be called father. Therefore, you cannot distinguish between calling a priest father and calling the man who is married to your mother father. But is that actually what this passage is saying? Or is Jesus warning us against trying to usurp the fatherhood of God, which is what the Pharisees and scribes were doing? They wanted all attention focused on them. They were leaving God, the Father, out of the equation. And even if you just interpret this passage from Matthew 23 as an absolute ban against calling anyone your spiritual father, then there are some problems for you in the rest of Scripture. For example, Jesus in the story of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16 has the rich man referring to Abraham as father several times. Paul in Romans 4 refers to Abraham as the father of the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. Spiritual fatherhood, not biological fatherhood. In Acts 7 and then in Acts 22, first Stephen and then Paul referred to the Jewish priests and elders as brothers and fathers. Spiritual fatherhood. 
So if you interpret Matthew 23 as saying we cannot call anyone our spiritual father, then you have to believe that Jesus, Paul, and Stephen all got it wrong. It is okay to call priests our spiritual fathers today. We are simply imitating the example given us by Jesus, Paul, and Stephen, all of whom who used the term in a spiritual sense. As long as we remember that our true father is God the Father and that all aspects of our fatherhood, biological and spiritual, are derived from him. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Can you tell me the three little pig story? Three little pigs were listening to Catholic Radio on the GRN and heard that the GRN was raffling off a 2021 Mercedes-Benz GLA 250. So they went to grnonline.com, bought five tickets for $100, and waited for their name to be drawn at the end. So, who's your favorite GRN station manager? I like them all, but especially Joe McLean. Confessions at 5. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you this morning. Praise be to God. How is your morning going so far? You got the coffee out? I think I've gone through two cups already. I didn't get uh, a ton of sleep last night, but I did have fun last night on the uh, the, the Catholic Literary Arts uh, Zoom chat with the, all the poetry winners. And that was just a great experience. We had, we had a wonderful time reading the poems that were the winners. I got to be the judge of a poetry contest. I mean, who saw that coming? That was a lot of pressure, actually. But definitely it was, not me. It was a lot of fun to do. At, at any rate, I I had a great uh, great opportunity to read those poems and to pray over them, and and we had fun last night. So thank you to Catholic Literary Arts for for hosting me. But uh, we just wrapped up a great conversation with Colm Flynn from EWTN. He's getting getting ready to get on a plane to Iraq with His Holiness Pope Francis, and so uh, I think we'll have him back when he gets back, and we'll we'll get the 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 after report right of of this historic trip. So we'll post that conversation that we just had on our YouTube and Rumble channels later. And Adrian, good morning to you. I think you also post them on Facebook, do you not? Yes, so they're on Rumble, Facebook, and YouTube. And then Emily, whenever I get around to sending them to Emily, Emily posts them to uh, Instagram. They get out eventually. Eventually, (laughs) all right. But they get out same day on YouTube, Facebook, and Rumble. And sometimes I try Twitter, but that never goes anywhere. No, (laughs) Twitter's a a non-sequitur. Good morning to you, Emily. Good morning. Uh, praise be to God. It's uh, a good day. We're going to have lots of uh, a fun time in this hour, but you still have a lot of depressing news to share with us, I hear. Uh, unfortunately, yes, that is the norm. Um, but, you know, we're talking about maybe having a good news section or a good news day. Good I think news that day, would be fun. Where we just share all good news. Maybe that, I'd say we should do that on Friday, but the problem with that is Fridays are always like the news day. Um, right. The biggest stories always come out on a Friday because they hope nobody's paying attention to the details. So they always release the big stories on Fridays. But uh, we have to come up with a time where we just do good news. We'll have to think about that. 
All right. So this hour, we're going to have breaking news and stories here in a moment, good news or bad. And then we'll have uh, Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day to inspire you, of course. And then we have our game show. Big, huge prize on the hook this week. Tan Publishing $200 value. That's kind of a big deal. It's the entire set of Blessed and Catherine Emmerich's uh, Life of Christ book set. It's pretty pretty awesome. So you're going to want to get in on that. Three more chances in the drawing there in the coffee cup of Divine Providence. All of that, plus the after show, unless, of course, you're going to go to the Holy Mass, which will be broadcast across the Guadalupe Radio Network at 7.30. But if you can join us on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, uh, we would love to have you for the after show of the program where we conversate a little more. So that's the agenda this hour. We hope you'll join us for all or most of it. Let's begin with prayer. Uh, Whatever your intentions are, dear listener, whatever you're facing right now, we're, of course, going to include your intentions with ours and asking Our Lady to intercede on our behalf. We're praying for peace in our country. We're praying for peace in the world. We're praying for conversion of sinners and uh, for the glory of God. And let's ask Our Lady to now whisper these intentions into the ear of her Son, that he may draw us ever so more closely into his most sacred heart. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O mother of the word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now the headlines with Emily Alcaraz. A book that is critical of transgender ideology is the latest to be censored by Amazon. On Sunday, conservative scholar Ryan Anderson reported that his 2018 book, When Harry Became Sally, was no longer listed for sale on Amazon.com. The company provided no explanation as to why Anderson's book was no longer listed for purchase. Anderson's book explores the biological, psychological, and philosophical areas of the transgender debate. It received positive reviews by professors of psychiatry, psychology, and medical ethics at universities such as Johns Hopkins. In a statement on Monday, the author said, quote, Make no mistake, big, both big government and big tech can undermine human dignity and liberty, human flourishing, and the common good. The National Center on Sexual Exploitation on Tuesday announced its annual Dirty Dozen ranking of the top mainstream contributors to sexual exploitation. The organization found that as the pandemic resulted in the closure of schools and cancellation of public events, children have been at an even greater risk of being targeted online. For 2021, new additions to their Dirty Dozen list include Reddit, Discord, Chromebook, VeriSign, EBSCO, and OnlyFans. Returning to the list from 2020 are Amazon, Netflix, the state of Nevada, Twitter, and Wish. These were quick to capitalize on the deepening vulnerabilities and societal chaos that COVID-19 created. A German Catholic bishop has publicly defended his support for a book of blessings and rights for homosexual unions. Bishop Peter Kohlgraf of Mainz also suggested that Catholics with homosexual inclinations cannot all be expected to live chastely, and the church should adopt a pastoral approach that acknowledges this. The bishop is the latest in a series of German prelates publicly calling for changes in the church's stance on homosexuality. The president of the German Bishops' Conference has called for changes to the section on homosexuality in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 
despite the fact that the church's teaching on marriage is definitive and will never change. Ireland's former Prime Minister has confirmed that Ireland will be employing COVID vaccine passports in order to regulate travel both nationally and internationally. Leo Varadkar pointed to Israel as an example, since the country has recently introduced an app which would grant a quote-unquote green pass to those who had received their vaccinations, allowing them entry to entertainment and leisure facilities. As the country emerges from another lockdown, the app is now being used as a way to prevent entry to those people who have not received or refused the vaccine. The virtual passport system Roku also suggests that it will soon be used in many countries worldwide, identifying Canada, the USA and the UK as possible locations for an initial international rollout. I'm Emily Alcaraz and these are your Wednesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ, St. Praetexitus of Rowan, pray for us. He was born in the 5th century. He was the Bishop of Rowan from 549. He held that position for 35 years. But because of his involvement in a political intrigue, the French king had him brought before a council of bishops, and he was charged with fomenting rebellion. He denied these charges. However, he accepted exile because the alternative was execution. Well, he was formally reinstated by the Bishop Council of Macon, and he went back to preaching against the evil regime of the queen, in fact, calling her to repentance and to set a holy example as the monarch. Well, she did not take well to this, and so instead of heeding his advice, she simply had him assassinated. He would be murdered in 586, praying the morning office. St. Pretextus, pray for us. The gospel today comes from Luke chapter 11, verses 29 through 32. While still more people gathered in the crowd, Jesus said to them, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign will be given it, except the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. At the judgment, the Queen of the South will arise with the men of this generation, and she will condemn them, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And there is something greater than Solomon here. At the judgment, the men of Nineveh will arise with this generation and condemn it, because at the preaching of Jonah they repented. And there was something greater than Jonah here, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we've talked about this particular passage on a number of occasions in the last couple of months. The sign of Jonah in particular. Of course, there's the Queen of the South as well. But you notice what's in common here between Jonah and Solomon? In uh, both cases, they're preaching to Gentiles which is a, a sort of a type of and a foreshadowing of Jesus who is uh, speaking to an audience here in this passage that is failing to understand and to see and failing and through a hardness of their heart uh, to, uh, to see that it's the time of the incarnation that Christ, God incarnate, is with them. And he intends to bring about um, the reconciliation of man with God. And that includes all men, not just some of them, but all of them, to include the Gentiles. 
But Jonah in particular is fascinating because uh, some scholars say that it's pure fiction. It's a it's a pious novel in the Old Testament. Others don't, however. And in fact, we do see a prophet named Jonah in the listed in the Book of Kings. So was it real? Was it not? I don't know necessarily, but. The point of the story is Jonah is called to preach repentance to Gentiles, to his sworn enemies. And of course, we all know the story. He gets on a boat headed in the opposite direction, as far and as fast as he can go, until he can't run from it anymore, and he is tossed into the sea. And a large fish eats him. And now, I was going through a, a study of this book years ago with Dr. Scott Hahn, and uh, we looked at how there are scholars who believe that Jonah actually dies and is in Sheol or in Haiti, there in the belly of this fish for three days, and then is resurrected on the beach and preaching repentance. Now, Jonah still wanted his enemies to be wiped out. He thought they would never adhere to this. They would never go along, and God would simply wipe them out, and he would have this sort of satisfaction for revenge. We all know the story. If not, you should read it. It's short. It's sweet. It's awesome. Um, But the sign that Jesus gives here is Jonah. For three days, Christ will be in the, the belly of the earth, so to speak. He will go and preach to those in Sheol, those in Haiti, those in waiting. And then he will come and be resurrected. What is the message? That we have an opportunity this Lent to, to meditate upon this, this sign. Now, I don't know about you or how many times you've asked God for a sign. I've asked God many, many times for a sign. But there's a difference between the people Jesus is speaking to here and what they expect. They expect God to prove himself to them. Oh, if you're the so-called Christ, well, then come down off that cross. Prove yourself to us. There's that. And then there's, my God and my Father, I need you. Send me a sign. There's a drastic difference there. And I don't know about you, but I've been in many uh, circumstances where I have felt uh, depressed or or just at my wit's end and uh, no other options, and I, I've run to God for a sign to shore me up. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, you could be in that same circumstance. And I submit that maybe this Lent we have an opportunity to ask God for a sign of faith, not approving of himself, but rather a shoring up of who we are as his children. Emily or Adrian? Yes. So I think uh, I think that's important. Like you were talking about the sign. What is the sign that our Lord gave? What is the sign that Jonah gave? Because our Lord is obviously uh, equating these two or not equating them, but uh, showing an analogy, a fulfillment of and the sign of Jonah was a three days in the well or three days in the big fish, depending on your translation or whether or not you watched VeggieTales um, in the three days in the in the sh- in the uh, well, whenever he comes out. That was a sign that he was a true prophet of God. In the same way, our Lord, even though he did not need to, we are bound to obey him and to believe in him, even if he did not prove it. Because of his mercy, though, he did prove it by his resurrection. The three days he spent in the tomb was the sign that he was who he said he was, that is, the Son of God, that is, God himself. And in this, he proves to everyone and then preaches for the conversion of sinners, namely the Jews that he came for primarily or firstly. Um, in the same way, whenever they are in, our Lord tells us in the scriptures that the, uh, the Ninevites, the Ninevites would come and preach and, and uh, scold the Jews for their lack of faith and their lack of repentance and their lack of conversion. Why? Because the Ninevites, who were heathens and pagans, heard the prophets and believed and converted 
And this is the perfect analogy to the ember days that we're celebrating right now because this is the time where we put on sackcloth and ashes, where we fast and abstain from meat today. And uh, I'll talk about it more in the after show, and I may do a uh, online-only uh, video explaining the ember days more later today. Um, but this is very important. We are fasting and, and praying today for the salvation of souls, for uh, having good priests, and for thanksgiving. And these are things that we should be looking towards, uh, and I think I'll leave it at that for now. All right. Praise be to God. We're going to go to a break here, and we're going to come back with our game show, Fear and Trembling. Three more opportunities to get into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize pack, which is huge. It's massive. $200 value. All of that's coming up next. Plus, we'll have uh, the after show uh, and so much more to come of Catholic Drive Time. We hope you'll join us. But if you're hanging out with us online, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, make sure you subscribe and share. That helps us out a lot. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Can we be happy without God? Atheists say yes. We Christians say yes, but only to a certain extent. What's our reason? There are some natural human desires that can be satisfied without living for God. The desire for sensory pleasure, success, and loving relationships. There are certain desires, however, that can't be satisfied without God. For example, we don't just desire some love, we desire infinite love, love without limit. This is manifest when we get frustrated with imperfect manifestations of it. The same is true for knowledge, justice, and beauty. Since God alone is infinite in these perfections, only He can satisfy our desires for them. Therefore, to borrow from St. Augustine, without God, our hearts would be forever restless. And my friends, a restless heart is an unhappy heart. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers. Catholic.com day when each of us will be asked to review the movie of our life and give an account to God. We will sorrowfully relive the bad times and joyfully revisit the good. Thankfully, no matter what you've done, there is hope. Since Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. So if you've been away from church for a while, we invite you to come home and find the peace that only comes from God. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time and Fear and Trembling, the Catholic Trivia Game Show, where we have a secret and hidden agenda. So just don't tell anybody this. This is between us, and that's to teach a little bit about the faith so you almost always learn something in the process. We have a laugh as well, and, uh, and prizes are given out. So it's kind of a cool deal. But if you're just joining us and you're like, what is all of this? It's a Catholic trivia game show. Three questions and prizes are involved, and here's how it works. We don't ask the caller the question. Instead, we ask Emily and Adrian the questions. One of them will have a right answer. The other will have a wrong answer, and the caller will have 15 seconds on the clock to make a decision. Who do they trust more, Emily or Adrian? Well, every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. 
Tell them what they could win, Emily. This week's huge mega prize from Tan Books, our wonderful sponsor, is a complete four set of The Life of Jesus Christ and Biblical Revelations of Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich. So this set, um, it's a beautiful hardcover set, four books, and it's worth $200. So our prize winner this week is going to win this book set, although it is also on sale at tanbooks.com right now for 40% off. So you can get it for $120 or call in to win this week. All right, praise be to God. Uh, I want to. I see all these phone calls coming in. Praise God. Thank you. Wow! To wow! Wow! Everyone so many callers. Who's uh, trying to call in to be on the uh, game show today? You'll still have a couple more chances, so be ready tomorrow to call in. Call in early, and you'll get your chance. But uh, we always take the first caller. So uh, good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning. God bless you and the Virgin protect you. Praise be to God. Uh, Thomas, God. good morning to you. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you've played once before. That was like a month, two months ago or something? Oh, it was way longer than that. Uh, this is well before the New Year. So um, it's been a while. Oh, yeah. When, and you got on the phone early today. You seem to be raring to go. Uh, is, the, is it the price pack that excites you or the fact that Emily and Adrian may lie to you today? Uh. A little column A, a little column B. I also <laughs> up, so, um, the providence just kind of lined up, so I was able to call. It uh, gives them both <laughs> reasons to go to Confession <laughs> Weekly, though, so that's always a good thing. Uh, praise God for that. Good. So, well, I'm gonna... As a veteran of the game now, Thomas, you probably understand the rules. You probably... Do you have any questions before we jump in? No, I don't think so. Now, if I remember correctly, you call from the Houston area, and uh, what parish do you go to again? Uh, St. Teresa's in Sugarland. All right, praise be to God. If you could turn your radio down a little bit there, that'd be great. We'll start with Emily, as is our custom. Emily, are you ready? Yes, sir. Are you sure? Mm -hmm. Okay, Emily, here we go. Can you tell me, Emily, what three sacraments can be received only once? Okay, so I know definitely baptism. There's only one baptism. Um, I'm going to go with confirmation as well. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the third one, I'm going to say holy orders. Okay, okay. So your answer is baptism, confirmation, and holy orders can only be received one time in a person's life. Yes. Are you sure? I I think so. so that's your answer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's see what uh, Adrian has to say here. Adrian, can you tell me what three sacraments can only be received once? Okay. So this is a tough question. I'm going to go with baptism because you know you're baptized once, uh, you're confirmed once, so those are easy. And then the third time, I'm not gonna. I don't think it's holy orders because I think uh, you have you get minor orders. And then you get major orders, and then you're ordained a bishop as well. So that's, that's a good that point. Like, that sounds like a three. I'm going to go with matrimony because, you know, you're married for life, right? So I'm going to go with matrimony. Okay. Hmm. That could be a, a tricky question here. All right. So Adrian is on the hook for baptism, confirmation, and matrimony. And Emily is on the hook for baptism, confirmation, and holy orders. Who's right? Who's wrong? 15 seconds on the clock. Thomas... What say you? That would be Emily is correct. Survey says. Congratulations. Of course. Darn it. You didn't <laughs> fall for it. I mean, Adrian really tried to confuse you there, but you did not fall for it, Thomas. Well done, sir. <laughs> 
Are you ready to go, Thomas, for the, your next yes, opportunity? You must really want to win the pack today. Is it, is it the Blessed really Anne Catherine do. I love Emmerich? Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich. Yeah, she's an incredible saint of our time. Praise be to God. <laughs> All right, Adrian, we'll start with you this time. Are you ready? Oh, yes. Okay, here we go. Adrian, can you tell me who was the first martyr of the U.S.? The first martyr of the U.S. Hmm. That is. That's a tough one. You gotta go way back. It it could be tricky. Of the U.S. specifically, not not of, all of not America. all of America, just well, just the U.S. The question specifically has U.S. there, but okay. we could say America. That's fine. I think that's fine. Oh, it says U.S. So United States. Okay, I'm gonna go with Blessed Horons. Blessed Horons. Yes. Are you sure? That's what I'm going with. I think okay. that's what it is. I don't know. Let's just see here. Emily, can you tell me who was the first martyr of... Let's just... We're going to change this. The, the, let's just go with America. Okay. Who is the first martyr of the America? Of okay. America. Or Americas. So. <laughs> I, we might be able to say Americas. I'm going to give the answer after. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll be more specific then. Well, I'm going to go... This is what I'm going to go with. You would think it was the Jesuits because the Jesuits were early explorers of the New Land, but... Those were the good old days. It's actually a Franciscan by the name of Juan de Padilla. Wow. He's a Spanish Franciscan. Wow. Adrian, who did you say again? Horons? You said Blessed yes, Horons? That's what I said. All right, so Adrian's on the hook for Blessed Horons, and Emily is on the hook for Father Juan de Padilla of the Franciscans. Who's right? Who's wrong? Uh, Thomas, what say you? 15 seconds. Yeah, the wording on this one is a little different, uh, a little difficult. I'm still going to go with Emily on this one, but I am not too confident. Yeah, 50-50 shot. You still get a chance at this survey says... Oh, you got, you got it. it. You got Good it. instinct, Thomas. It, it was tricky. It yeah, was that was very tricky. Intentionally deceptive, that's for sure. Father Juan de Padilla, he was on the, uh, the, the I think it was the Cortez mission uh, here in the Texas area, in fact, up in the uh, what was now be considered the Diocese of Fort, Fort Worth. It was actually the Coronado mission. He and two other Franciscans uh, spent their time uh, uh, with the mission to find a city of gold, which was Coronado's mission, but they loved converting Indians. And when Coronado gave up on his task in 1542, they asked to stay and they wanted to work among the Indians, which they did, converting many to the faith. But there was an attack upon the Christians and he used his body as a shield, taking arrows in order to allow his comrades to escape. Uh, so, Father Juan de Parilla, pray for us. Also, there's no fa- there's no blessed Horans. That's yeah, actually that? that's <laughs> the that's the tribe that killed the Jesuits. <laughs> Just say Oh man, you see how I t- I warn you guys every day that they will try to trick you. <laughs> and here we are. All right, third question: Are you ready to go, Thomas? Yes, sir. You're in the coffee cup twice. You get one more chance at this. Let's just see how this works. Back to you, Emily. Are you ready? Yes. Uh, Emily, can you tell me, what is the oldest Catholic institution of higher education in the United States? Okay. So this, uh, it has to be a Jesuit school. <laughs> um, has to be. It's like, yeah, no it's no canon option. law. I mean, like. Well, the Jesuits are the best educators. Uh, Whoa. So I'm gonna go with Georgetown, Georgetown. University. 
It sounds reasonable. Which some sounds people reasonable. might not know is Catholic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different, 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 different conversation. Okay, Adrian, can you tell me what is the oldest Catholic institution of higher education in the United States? While Emily decides to go with the Jesuits for some reason, I'm, I'm going to go. Jesuit educated. <laughs> I'm going to go with the Dominicans. Uh, the Dominicans, I'm going to say that their university, the Dominican House of Studies, is technically, I'm going to say, the oldest in the uh, United States, is what I'm going to say. Well, somebody has to be right and somebody has to be wrong. Who is it? Adrian is on the hook for the Dominican House of Studies. Emily is on the hook for Georgetown University. 15 seconds on the clock. Thomas, what do you say? I'm going to go with Adrian on this one. This is, again, a rather, rather obscure. It's shiny. S- survey says... I no, know. Thomas. Thomas, you fell Ouch. for it, buddy. Hook, line, and sinker. He throws the Dominican hook out, and you just started swallowing. That's uh, you got to watch out for that. He there, got Thomas. you. Got him. Georgetown University <laughs> is actually the oldest Catholic institution in the United States. Now, if we just said the Americas, do we have? Do anybody, does anybody know what then? What then? What it would be? The first university in the Americas? No, I have no idea. The first Catholic institu- educational institution in the Americas. It would have been in the the. Uh, I think it was the Franciscans had an institution in Mexico City in the mm. 16th century. At any rate, Thomas, two chances out of three is not bad. How do you feel? No, no, no. Well, praise be to God, Thomas. We're very grateful for your time today. We're grateful that uh, you've had a chance to uh, take on a second round of the Fear and Trembling Game Show. We're, we're looking forward to seeing if it's God's will that he pulls your name out of the coffee cup of divine providence. Now, as far as predestination goes, do you take the Dominican or do you take the Franciscan? Like, what is your what is your appeal? There? Do you think it's in, that it's already preordained that God's going to pull you out as the winner tomorrow? I'm just curious. Or on Friday? Um, I, dude, God's <laughs> in the eternal now, so he already knows. But I'm still going to be praying for it. You're a real, smart real man. <laughs> smart smart answer there, Thomas. We're going to put you on hold, and we'll get your phone number just to be sure that we have that. But to God love you. God bless you. Thank you for playing today. That's going to do it for the radio portion of Catholic Drive Time. The Holy Mass will begin uh, in a few minutes on the Guadalupe Radio Network. But if you can, hang out with us for the after show on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter comment let us know where you're listening we'd love to have you a part of our conversation we'll be doing that here in just a few minutes right here at the with the team so please do join us otherwise join us tomorrow we have a great lineup this week uh, father david guffrey is going to be our guest tomorrow to talk about pray the father Peyton movie join us then god love you god bless you we'll see you next time thank you for joining us on your catholic drive time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Welcome to the after show of Catholic Drive Time. Uh, Adrian, you want to say goodbye to Thomas on the line there? Fun show today. Colin Flynn was great. Uh, great interview. Yeah, great personality. He's. I like, I, I like <laughs> the way you, you know, it's 10 seconds to go in the show. Joe, tell me about your heritage. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I had to think about that. I was having a brain fog today.
the old brain frog. We should we need the a brain meme. frog. We that's the right. Bra- the brain frog meme posted today. If you're hanging out with us on uh, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, make sure please to comment and let us know. We'd like to know where you're from. <clears throat> I see Monica hanging out with us over on YouTube site. Good morning to you, Monica. Hello, Monica. Of course, Mr. Thomas Anderson is also there. Praise be to God. I see Chris hanging out of Velasquez over there. God love you, Chris. Thank you. Valerie. Valerie in Fort Worth. How'd that go? <laughs> Amy Winehouse. Now, uh, Valerie, uh, you know, the, the, the martyr, the first martyr, Father Paria, uh, he was from your diocese. Or actually, he wasn't from your diocese. He, he went but through it. He was he, from Spain. He walked through your diocese, let's yes. just say. Um, pretty fascinating story, actually. I was not aware. And the, the question is very tricky. It says U.S., but at the time, obviously, there wasn't a mm-hmm. U.S. So <laughs> it's, I, it should have said America, uh, the continent, um, what will one day become the United States. Mm-hmm. It should have said that. Or the, it could have said the Americas because I'm pretty sure he was the, well, no, he wouldn't have been. Or would he? Hmm. We don't talk about our American martyrs. I was just talking about I, the, the, the Jesuit uh, martyrs uh, last night. Who you know they died those horrific, grisly the, deaths. The 16th century martyrs, 17th century martyrs in England, or the ones what? here in America? No, the, the North American Jesuit martyrs oh, here. Oh, the Huron. The uh, ones the, that are, reverent, uh, uh, that the, are the relevant to our, our conversation today. The black robes. Uh, black uh, robes? Yeah, that's what they were called by the Indians, the black robes. Oh, okay. Uh, the Huron tribe, the Iroquois and the Huron tribe, um, the ones that got mutilated mightily. Oh, yeah. And one of them, uh, they cut off, the natives cut off all of his fingers except for the ones that he could still use to say mass. And so he got yeah. permission to still say mass, even though he had like four fingers left. Yeah. Yvonne, good morning to you. Up early from Lake Havasaw City in Arizona. Well, praise be to God. Did you already read Jesus' comments? Oh, my heavens. We wait for you, <laughs> so we don't want to steal your, the glory of your moment. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Read Jesus' uh, you know, embellishments. I, I have to read. I'm going to read his comments, but I just want to focus in on his most important comment of the day. <laughs> and probably LOL, his most important the comment that he's ever made in his entire life. I just want to say, oh, okay. ever, ever, a ever. This is like, in all, this might be the greatest comment I, ever I'm made. Suspicious. Ever made I, in all I'm of suspicious. comments. Already, I'm feeling, I don't know. He, mm. Jesus said, Skin quote, it. producer Adrian is quite the greatest of all producers. Pax et bonum. That's controversial. Quote, end quote. <laughs> sounds... And then uh, for some reason, Facebook put uh, this, uh, com- this comment <laughs> is, disputed. is disputed underneath <laughs> it. I don't know why. I don't know why, but Facebook has that right underneath it. I don't understand it. Um, but, you know, I, there's for nothing once, disputed about for it, For once, I think I agree with Facebook's censorship program. <laughs> for once, I, I found common solidarity with Facebook censors. And, and then awesome. um, he said, the game show is on. The ultimate reason reason for my existence fulfilling my heart's desires <laughs> my friend we're gonna have to maybe have get some, some uh, spiritual direction for interesting you. priorities <laughs> like i'm very concerned for you uh, for your salvation and stuff <laughs> <laughs> for your salvation and stuff <laughs> stop it no no <laughs> not so libre why references. you not been baptized <laughs> no. for, for our listeners who don't know we quote not so libre all the time, off air. <laughs> For uh, whenever by by we, she means the two of them. Me and Joe, well, Joe and I. Well, well, I don't know. Um, uh, I get in trouble with my wife every time I quote Nacho Libre. Patty, Patty said she loves columns Irish brogue. Irish brogue, brogue is that yeah. how you say brogue. that? Yeah. 
Praise God. You know, I, I, it was fascinating when we talked to him. Uh, you know, obviously a guy who's never been to Iraq. You know, I personally have never been to Iraq. I tried to go to Kuwait, but the, I, the war was over so fast I didn't get the chance. Uh, so I, I was listening to Colm explain or describe him getting ready to go, what it would be like. And, well, you could sense that there's – that's a real – It's scary. It's a little bit, um, uh, little bit of tension there. But at the same time, like – Kind of exciting. I mean, nobody else yeah. is traveling right now. Yeah, <laughs> certainly not to Iraq. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's a kind of a thing there. So it'll be interesting. Uh, hopefully, he'll come back afterwards and give us the update there. But uh, that'd be great. Yeah, I'll be fascinated to see just how much traveling he is able to pull off. And I imagine the security is going to be absolutely massive. That's right, because they did say he did say that they said they're going to provide every all their needs at the hotel so they wouldn't have to go anywhere. So I think they're assuming that they're probably going to want to stay within a small area. Yeah, the green zone. Remember that? Uh, yeah. Green zone. Um, I can also imagine that the Swiss Guard will take this very, very seriously, and they will be very prepared for most, uh, most outcomes. Um, they are a very professional organization uh, they're the smallest army in the world, but they're also very professionally trained, and they're prepared to provide security. So uh, I don't know. I'll, hopefully nothing happens. Hopefully be uneventful from that perspective. But I, I guess my secret and hidden desire is that the Pope will have an opportunity to defend Christians. Yeah, and I hope he does. Yeah. Um, because judging from his um, sort of lack of comment, I think the Pope has talked about the Uyghur genocide in China maybe once. He, yeah. he mentioned it, but in terms of Christian genocide, I really um, hope that our our Holy Father will be able to speak up more yeah. in the future. So is it a question of he doesn't speak publicly about it, but is he saying things behind closed doors? I mean, I want to give him the benefit of the yeah, doubt there. that's true. Uh, but we, we have been really wanting a public state, more public statements as far as the Uyghurs go in particular. Cardinal Zen has been uh, very outspoken and we, we would all hope and pray that His Holiness would, uh, would come to their defense. You know, in this case, I could see a prudential judgment of not making too many public statements before the trip starts and going there, taking your opportunities, maybe when the cameras are off and you're behind closed doors with the imam or what have you to make statements then to say, you know, hey, it's... Uh, it's not appropriate to be uh, endorsing or looking the other way when Christian persecution is going on in your country. So hopefully he'll he'll say those things. Yeah. Hopefully we'll find out about them too. Uh, Adrian. And so the a couple things uh, in regards. So switching topics just a little bit, or I guess a lot. Um, the a couple teachable moments uh, for the show today. Um, I, I'm thinking about starting uh, a series on. Like tra the tradition of the church, like talking about traditional things. Like we've had the interview with the glad trads and we talked about how there's more to being a quote unquote traditional than just the traditional mass. Um, and one of the things that I think is important is the ember days, uh, and celebrating and, and recognizing the ember days. Uh, so I think, uh, and a lot of these traditions have been forgotten, um, and not widespread. So I'm thinking about starting a series talking about these things. And, uh, I was definitely will, if we, if I end up doing it, I think I will, uh, I'll definitely will have it sent out via the email list and whatnot. Um, 
But a couple things of teachable moments. Hey, Sue said major orders, minor orders, uh, referring to my answer today. And yeah, there uh, traditionally the there were major orders and minor orders, um, and those were suppressed but not abolished. And so uh, there are places that still give minor orders today. And like, I believe certain seminarians may ask permission if they want to, although it's not uh, common now to be ordained in the minor or major orders. Exactly, yes. So there are communities, I know of a Jesuit actually, which surprised me, who asked permission from his superiors to receive minor orders. Yeah, I know a lot of And he Jesuits. received them. I, I, I do too. I, I mean, I know of, not, I've never met any, but I know of good Jesuits, and I've never heard of a Jesuit getting minor orders except for this one guy I know. Um, and so they're there. The Fraternity of St. Peter receives minor orders. The Institute of Christ the King all receive minor orders. Um, maybe you could explain what the minor orders are. Yes. So the, like the a- minor orders are basically steps to becoming a priest. Uh, and so you become a porter where you answer the doors, you uh, start familiarizing yourself with the church. Uh, then you, uh, and I'm going to tr- get them out of order. Uh, I'm trying to remember them. Uh, then uh, have you a, have them listed up. Yeah. So it is lector, uh, exorcist, acolyte, subdeacon, deacon, and priest. Yes. So after you're a reporter, you become a lector. So that means you get permission uh, to be able to read at mass, meaning the uh, the epistle, not the gospel, because the gospel is reserved for, for the deacon, the and, deacon and the priest alone. Uh, then you become an acolyte, and that's whenever you're able to handle the sacred uh, vessels. Um, such then, as the chalice, such as the, the chalice, yeah. and and the like, and um, the patent, yeah. Uh, yeah, because before the patent is only it has a wooden handle, and so you, if you're a server, you hold the wooden handle, but not the actual gold itself. Yeah, uh, when you're an acolyte, you can actually touch the gold portion of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after acolyte, it's uh, exorcist, correct? Yeah, and an exorcist is oh, not. No, no, it actually goes lector, exorcist. Acolyte. Oh, lector, yeah. exorcist. Okay, so an exorcist is not the exorcist that we think of. Of uh, whenever we think like Father Ripperger going through and, and exorcising demons, they would do these what's called a minor exorcism of people who were coming into the church because back uh, way back when people who were becoming Catholic they were pagans. And they were practicing witchcraft. They were doing all these things. So they would come in and exorcist would have the ability oh. to uh, do blessings. And so they do minor blessings onto uh, the people. They come in, receive Why their daily we blessing. Why get rid of that? I know. We definitely need those today. Bring it back. <laughs> and yeah. so, and that would be, that was a common practice back then. And we definitely need that in our day. We see wow. the rise of Satanism right now. And this, I think, could be one reason. Uh, then after Acolyte, it's what? After it goes lector, exorcist, acolyte, subdeacon. Okay, subdeacon is the basically the last step in minor orders. At this point, you have now entered, you're entering into major orders. So a subdeacon is the one who wears the sacred garb at uh, Misa Cantatas, at, uh, at high masses. So he will be the, uh, you have a priest, a deacon, and a subdeacon in the, uh, in the mass. And the subdeacon is the lowest one, and he's the one that will read the epistle normally. He's the one that will handle the... Um, the, um, I'm sorry, the, uh, patent whenever they are distributing communion. And he'll also assist in this, uh, as a, basically a server during the rest of the mass. And then you become a deacon. And this is whenever you're actually instituted in holy orders itself, which is distinct from minor orders. Um, and so once you have, uh, once you become a, a deacon, you basically are, can do everything that a priest can do without actually performing the sacraments themselves. And then once you become a priest, you now have, uh, the, you can now have the ability to perform the sacraments. Um, of course, anybody has the ability to do baptism, but the normal minister of baptism is the priest. Um, 
and so those are the those are the that's the entirety of the minor orders and major orders, and then of course you have the episcopate, which is the fullness of uh, the priesthood. So, amen. Those are that. Thomas Russell, who was our game show contestant today, said, "Bring back minor orders over on YouTube." And then, of course, we didn't mention Joaquin earlier. He has been hanging out with us on the Facebook side. It's so good to see you, Joaquin. Thank you for hanging out with us. And Paul was hanging out with us, listening on the Station of the Cross, and we're so very grateful. Uh, Station of the Cross picks up our first hour of our show, and then uh, so we always encourage folks to hang out with us via our YouTube streams, our Facebook and Twitter, all of that, in order to uh, maintain uh, or stay on the show for the second hour and all of that. So we're very grateful to to Paul and the audience over at the Station of the Cross. Um, I wanted to mention, we have about uh, 15 minutes or so left uh, in the after show today. Uh, so again, if you're hanging out with us and you've not commented, please do comment. Tell us where you're from and uh, how you're listening. We'd like to know that, or at least where you're listening. You'll be commenting there and we'll know that much, but maybe... Uh, tell us uh, like a little bit about yourselves. We'd love to get to know you a little bit. But there's another story I didn't get to bring up in the um, in the What's Concerning Us section. That uh, This has been a conversation I've had, I don't know, a bunch of times in the last couple of months. Sort of looking down the road from a Catholic evangelist perspective and trying to anticipate what's coming. And this story is along those lines. It's Breitbart that's putting it out. And uh, tech entrepreneur, a second internet is needed for an American survival. And I think it's fascinating. So this, I'll read just a little bit here and I'll, I'll post a link to it. Martin Avila, the CEO of IT infrastructure company Right Forge, which provides digital services for center-right businesses and groups, recently published an op-ed arguing that a second internet must be created to maintain digital freedom. In a recent op-ed published in Newsweek, titled, A Second Internet is Needed for American Survival, Mar- uh, Marvin, I said Martin, it's Marvin Avila, the CEO of Right Forge, argues that American survival is dependent on reigning in big tech firms and the possibility of the creation of a new type of internet. Right Forge is a full-service technology infrastructure company, according to Avila, and provides IT services. Now, he might have, I don't know, maybe he's just trying to drive traffic to his business here. But I think he's, I think there's something to this. In the coming days uh, and weeks and months ahead of us, with uh, the uh, we saw a story this week. I, I didn't bring it up. I meant to. There was a battle between Australia and Facebook, uh, and there was other comp- countries like Canada got in on it. I think, and they, basically Australia said to Facebook, "You have to pay the news services that are being posted to your platform," and Facebook refused, and they shut off Australia, and Australia caved. And now Facebook has even more power there than they had before. Um, so we're seeing this trend. We've talked about it a billion times. You, of course, know that. But as Catholic evangelists, uh, the opportunity to reach the masses, unless, of course, you're like Catholic charities. I'm not disparaging Catholic charities. But they're not going to say things that are – they're not going to talk about the hard issues uh, of our day in the news. That's not their job. That's why they don't do it. It's not their job. And that's fine. So they will always probably have access to the public sphere. Praise God. But – Organizations like ours, people who talk about the news from a Catholic perspective, they are probably going to face uh, the, the shutting out in greater numbers. Think about it on a day in the future where they ha- there might have to be two sets of internets, where you might have to carry two phones, one connected to this and one connected to that, because will the carriers be willing to connect to a second internet infrastructure that is more open to freedom of speech? Who knows? 
Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you, maybe they'll have to have, everybody will have to have Linux phones that are pr- uh, pre-programmed by individuals. Maybe there'll be peer-to-peer networks that connect via Bluetooth technology as you walk by them in a crowd. I mean, who knows is the answer, but it's quite possible. And it's going to feel uh, really odd and weird. It's almost like a, a civil war of technology that is, is headed our way. And this article speaks to that. And the very real possibility that we might be living uh, one foot in one world and one foot in another world not in the not-too-distant future. But either way, uh, this was part of the conversation I was having with the, the dads that went to the, the S.W.O.R.D. demonstration at the TFB over the weekend. Tradition Family Property is the name of the organization. You can look them up. They're great. And uh, we were talking about this. Our mission as Catholics doesn't change just because the distribution models change, but it can be harder. The need to share uh, the truth with your neighbor has never changed. That's still a mandate. That's still the mission of the church. And uh, as Catholics, as, as evangelists, uh, we have to figure out what the means are and make use of them. And when they change, then we have to be able to change with it, which is why at the Guadalupe Radio Network, we have been making steps towards the, that change already in advance. <clears throat> I mean, everybody's streaming. We're all doing that. Uh, but it's more than that. It's it's building up the infrastructure that we need in order to continue to communicate to to you, the audience. That'll be harder. I mean, right now, uh, a fraction of a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of anybody who's who's a subscriber to our YouTube channel ever sees any content we put out. Very few. Our subscribers go up all the time. We're getting new subscribers every single day. And I barely even ask for them. They're just, they go up all the time. But hardly anybody is able to see our content in their feed. You have to go through these, your subscriptions to find us there. Why is that? Well, it's because the algorithms aren't going to play fair. They, they don't do so on uh, Facebook that, or YouTube or Twitter or any of these platforms. And they won't. So we have to find ways to overcome that. So part of the ways to do that that we've been working on, we still have more work to do. We're not there, you know, but we also don't have, uh, you know, Zuckerberg kind of cash. And we try to be responsible with the donor dollars that we receive is we have a mobile app. Station of the Cross has a mobile app. If you're listening from that area, download it, listen to it, connect to it. We have ours, the Guadalupe Radio Network. You can find it on iOS and Android. And we are connecting uh, our, our app in such a way that you could watch the stream live and it would be independent of any of these platforms. You can listen live audio-wise. You can get the podcast. You can interact. You can connect. You can get the information. Uh, so we're gonna we're working on building that infrastructure out, plus on our website, and then backups as well. We have a long way to go uh, to really uh, prepare ourselves for what could be uh, sort of a, like I said, a, a world with two internet structures it's actually kind of bonkers i see dan hanging out on uh, youtube site says hello from new jersey praise be to god it says you guys are great keep it up dan we're very grateful that you're part of the show praise god uh beth i see i see uh adrian's commenting about beth i don't see beth where's beth youtube beth oh there you are beth thanks for hanging out with us yeah, Beth said, thanks, Adrian. I didn't know anything about mine orders. It was pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, so I hope to talk more about uh, these kind of things, uh, of these more things that we, it's part of our, our heritage, our Catholic heritage, things that are just built into the DNA, our Catholic sense. And we, uh, we've kind of lost. I want to talk about it more, make people aware of it. Um, 
Because a lot of these things are not gone for good. We, we can bring these back. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these things are that were once binding by mortal sin, like, for instance, recognizing Ember Days, are now available to us to do just out of charity for God. Um, and so that is, <laughs> gives us such a great opportunity to merit so much uh, for our Lord. And so um, I, I definitely think that right. that's something that we talk about more. The traditions of the church are like an untapped just waterfall of grace that is waiting to be used so amen uh dan donlin says hello from new jersey you guys are great keep it up we love you dan i read that one (laughs) oh you Uh, did yeah and uh did we get anything on facebook i haven't checked yet um before i move on to mr thomas anderson's question well go ahead jump in because we only have a few minutes okay so mr thomas uh your question was uh, my question about sacraments, my Catholic priest said that once the, that other denominations cannot enter heaven because they did not, re- they do not receive the sacrament body of Christ, the Eucharist. Do you have to receive the body of Christ to enter heaven? Evangelists do not receive, uh, even, evangelicals do not receive the body of Christ. Uh, yeah, this is a great question. And, uh, and our Lord did say that if you do not eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life within you. Um, and so, this is a very important question. The question also goes to uh, Catholics. What about Catholics who die before have never received the body of Christ? They've been baptized but never received the body of Christ. Um, well, for one, baptism is assumed that you have a desire to receive the body of Christ and that you have spiritually received the body of Christ. Um, and that, that's important as well. We talked a lot in the, at the beginning of the epidemic about spiritual communion. And so this is important. Of course, as soon as we were able, as soon as we were able to do so, like as soon as uh, children are able to, at the age of reason, receive the sacrament of the body of Christ, we should uh, go and receive it because of that commandment by God. Now, it is true that the doctrine of the church, dogma of the church is that there is no salvation outside of the church. Uh, but what does this mean exactly? Now, this is important uh, to discuss, and uh, maybe we'll have a guest on to talk about this in depth. Uh, but what it means is we see throughout the church fathers, they're all talking about the Ark of Peter. And because the Ark, uh, like the Noah's Ark, for instance, during the floods, the floods came and the water rose and the Noah's Ark was the only thing that survived. Why? Because our Lord built up the ark with the hands of Noah, and on the ark is was salvation from the flood. And so today, the ark of Peter, where where Rome is, where as uh, I believe it was Athanasius said, or uh, where Peter is, uh, there is the church. And so we must have we have to be with Peter, and that is the ark in which we, when we're on it, we are saved. Um, now, of course, we can throw ourselves off by mortal sin. We can throw ourselves off by leaving the faith. Uh, we can never be on by not being Catholic. Uh, but the, is there salvation outside the church possible? Yes, because why? Because God, in his infinite mercy uh, and not knowable to us, can save outside of his own sacraments. He is not bound by his own sacraments. We are bound by his sacraments, but he is not. So the normal way and the only way that we know is possible is through the church. But uh, God can act outside of his sacrament. Now, how he does this, how often he does this, uh, is it one person? Is it a hundred people? We can't presume uh, that. We have no idea. We yeah. cannot presume that any person that is not in the faith, that is not receiving the sacraments is saved. And that is why we must evangelize. That is why we must seek the conversion 
conversion of sinners, seek the conversion of our friends and family, because even though our Lord can, he does not ensure that he will. Um, and so we can pray and hope that for the salvation of others that are not Catholic, but we should strive to make them Catholic, to strive to get them in the church, to receive the sacraments, because that is the only way that we know is possible. That's the, oh, that's the way that Jesus set up. And then uh, that's the reason why we should do that. Uh, comments, cool. Emily. Praise God. Kathy uh, says, very thorough. Kathy says, good morning, earthly saints, listening with joy. Adrian, thanks for explanation of Ember Days. Says, Temp in Danvers, Massachusetts, is uh, this morning was 34, but the sun and the sun of righteousness kept us warm. Praise be to God. You know what's funny Kathy about, was about such that? A fun guest uh, that, rem- that reminded me, Kathy said, Temp, I know it has nothing to do with what she was saying, but it triggered <laughs> something in my mind. <laughs> Temp, uh, like tempura, like tempura fish. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, so we're back on food. Uh, <laughs> it with food. Tempura fish actually gets its name from uh, the Ember Days. Oh, wow. And so, no yes, way. yes. So it's really interesting. Another so Ember Day tie. The Jesuits who went to Japan, uh, whenever they were eating uh, food, they wanted something tasty to eat on the Ember Days, which in Latin is called the uh, Quaresti Tempores, which is the four, <gasps> the, the four uh, times. Uh, because you're, there are four times a year where they have uh, Ember Days. And so they call it tempura because they battered the fish and made it. And so they, they call it tempura. Uh, Paul, by the way, just sent me a link uh, by email. Paul's a listener out of Buffalo, New York, listening on the Station of the Cross. We're very grateful to Hello, him Paul. for hanging out with us. Uh, he sent a link. There is apparently a petition on the Equality Act, but that was one of the stories we covered in our What's Concerning Us section of the show today. I've posted a link to that petition on uh, Facebook and YouTube. I don't think I posted it on Twitter, but there, <laughs> there's nobody on Twitter. Actually, so. we have two people on Twitter what? right no now. No way. If you're yeah. on Is Twitter, it us? we, no, have, we have only a few minutes here. If you're on Twitter, we need to know. Hello. Like, where are you from? UST like, Max Center joined and is watching. Yeah, praise be to God. Uh, so uh, let us know where you're from. We'd like to hear hear from you. But we did post. Uh, I did post a link to uh, the 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 bishop's concern. Now they the, the USCCB wrote a, a letter, and you can find that on USCCB's website. I believe we linked to it on uh, on our Facebook side. Uh, I read part of that letter today from the bishops, uh, expressing grave concern over the Equality Act because of the um, the potential for great harm it will do to people of faith. So I would encourage you to read that letter and then potentially uh, sign this uh, petition as well. And again, I've linked to it. Uh, Jesus Robles uh, also says, my man, Adrian, my head is spinning. Good stuff. (laughs) Rick, this is a new one here. I've not uh, seen Rick before on the comments. Rick, welcome and thank you for commenting on the Facebook side. says, good morning from sunny Buffalo. Love the snow. Ah. Praise be to God. I, I was in sunny Buffalo uh, three, four years ago for the men's conference up there, and it was snow on the ground and cold, and I had the best hotel room right on the river there, uh, and I would wake up. I left the door open all night long, so it froze in my room. It was so great. And you get greeted by the sun rising over the, over, over the, the river, and then these, like, glaciers would just float downstream towards towards uh, Niagara Falls. It was my pr- parents, pretty my epic. My parents said they were grilling because it's 40 now in Chicago. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> 40. Wow. Before we go off, uh, Miyaka, I believe that's how you pronounce it, it's M-A-I-K-A, on Twitter commented, on you guys Twitter. are doing great. Listening from Twitter in Churchill, Mantaboa, California, I think. Hey, no. California. Praise be to God. So there you Hello. go. 
That is awesome. Well, thank you Our for hanging out. First comment with us. on Twitter. Yeah. Yay, congratulations, uh, Mayaka. We should uh, we should like frame that or something. <laughs> put it on a frame. Put it on the wall. Like to, to a Twitter tw- Twitter tweet comments. That would be a, the wall Twitter of Twitter tweet, tweet comments. comments. I don't know. Same. We'll come up with something more clever than that, obviously. But praise be to God. It's good to be finally get some action on the on the Twitter side. Um, what else? We're going to be uh, tomorrow. We'll have a, a guest on the program. That's going to be fascinating. It's going to be Father David Guffey. And he is the executive producer of Pray, the story of Patrick Payton. The family that prays together stays together. That priest, uh, you know, uh, my family loves to pray the rosary together. And maybe one or one, may sometimes two times a week, we might watch uh, YouTube videos of rosary and pray along. So we'd have the visual element with my little ones. And uh, we often have put on the, the, the Father Patrick Payton uh, rosary videos. Those are great. They're yeah, so beautiful. Fantastic. I pray that every day. Yeah. Praise be to God. So it'll be great conversation, and if I'm not mistaken, Adrian, he has given us uh, he's given us the ability to give away the movie for, for I think we have like five or so yes. copies to so give away tomorrow. So we have five digital copies, and so tomorrow we have we're going to discuss after the show how we're going to give it away. We think it's going to have something to do with being on our email list or the after show, one of those kind of things, and uh, we will give away five digital copies for you to download uh, and watch the Prey movie. Uh, for free. So yeah. five of them. How cool is that? So be sure to tune in tomorrow because you could win a free copy of uh, of Prey, the movie uh, of Father Patrick Payton. That'll be awesome. Which was great. Yeah, me and Emily yeah, saw it. Yeah, we watched it, yeah. Yeah, praise be to God. So that's going to be a great conversation. And then uh, on Friday, Father Gerald Murray, uh, who is a priest out of New York uh, and a canon lawyer and part of the uh, the papal posse on EWTN's World Over Live with Raymond DeRorio, he is going to be our guest. He's got an article out called The Germany's Schismatic Synodal Way. Wow. <laughs> Shot across the bow. Father Gerald Murray will be our guest on Friday. Next week, we're, we're lining up some great guests as well. The Youth Apologetics will be back as a, as a mulligan opportunity to have a conversation with them. Uh, I see Kim Zember on the list. Uh, Matt Walsh from the uh, Daily Wire might be a guest on next week. We're working on getting him on the calendar, plus so much more. So there's a ton of Catholic Drive Time headed your way. We're very excited about that, and we're glad that you're a part of the family. Could you do us a favor? Whatever platform you prefer to listen to us on, uh, share that. Just share the video. Hit the share button. Hit the like button on YouTube. Like and shares mean more almost than subscriptions do as far as the algorithm goes. So sharing us and liking us will help us to spread the word about Catholic Drive Time and what we're trying to do here. We're very grateful to you. We love you. We're going to wish you a great day. God love you. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow morning right here on Catholic Drive Time. Thank you for joining us.